Swinet. It's time for a new era of communication in the swine industry. One that you can get the latest updates while commuting or driving to farms. Here you have the brightest minds of the global swine industry in your pocket. What are we going to do? How are we going to get there? And that needs to be an ongoing activity. And oftentimes in the pig industry, we're really busy taking care of pigs, but we're really sometimes not very good at business planning and development. And frankly, I find that people's financial understanding of the business is pretty weak. Welcome to Swine Eat Podcast. My name is Marcel Gonçalves, your host for today's episode. This episode is brought to you by Gestalt. Celebrating its 25th anniversary, Gestalt manufactures the original wireless standalone swine feeding system. Designed by pork producers for pork producers, they are simple, reliable, and provide peace of mind 24 7, 365 days a year. Gestalt is not just manufactured by an equipment company, but by a family pork production business with a slat level understanding. Gestalt always one step ahead in swine feeding. Hello everyone, this is Marcio Gonçalves and today we have a, a new episode for the Swine Eat podcast. The, uh, the topic for today will be key aspects for successful pig production and we have Dr. Steve Pullman, a legend of the swine industry with several decades of experience through, through uh, large uh, corporations and now in, in his consultancy. So with that, uh, Dr. Pullman, Thanks a lot for joining us today, and uh, and I guess if you'd like to start uh, with a uh, you know how did you get involved in pig production and and then walk us through your your career. Very good. Well, first, thanks for the invitation. I'm it's a pleasure to be able to participate. Uh, I often tell people I got in pig production because my brother was a fast runner, <laughs> and he actually got a grease pig in a rodeo, <laughs> and that little guilt became our first sow because we just didn't uh, want to kill her. And so the time I graduated from high school, uh, I had an FFA project of about 40 sows. And so selling wow. wean pigs, feeder pigs, and we also had a custom breeding service. We bought some boars, and those boars were transported around the neighborhood to service the neighbor sows. So stuff today that uh, we would think is really crazy, but it seemed to work for us. And, and from there... I uh, was continued to be intrigued uh, with the swine industry, went to Utah State, the degree in animal science, and met uh, a professor from the University of Nebraska, Dr. Murray Danielson, who offered me an assistantship to come to Nebraska, and that was very much life-changing for me. Oh, wow. Uh, so uh, after finishing my degree at uh University of Nebraska, I accepted a position in extension and research at Kansas State, which was an absolutely wonderful experience. At that time, uh, Kansas State was considered a cattle school and had no involvement in pig production. And so we really started uh, the whole momentum of the swine reputation that occurred and exists today. And so one of the things that was fun to see is that program develop over time. And after about uh, five, six years, uh, I had an offer to move into the feed industry and spent years in the feed industry doing product development and research. And after doing that for a period of time, uh, was thought about a career change and moved into production management. I was involved in the 
uh, growth of the Circle 4 farm business in southwest Utah. We moved that uh, business from about 20,000 sows to 75,000 sows, and then from there, uh, with Smithfield Foods, moved to Iowa, where I became the president of the Western Operations Board, uh, Smithfield Foods. So it's been a great experience. Uh, at the time the Chinese purchased Smithfield Foods, uh, I took early retirement, and the last few years I've been uh, spending time with family, doing travel, and also staying in touch with the pig industry, have a consulting business that I work with some production management companies as well as companies doing some product development, just enough to keep money so my wife can buy new shoes. Wow. So that's really how I got involved in the pig industry. It's been a great opportunity and uh, one of the areas that uh, I've really noticed the past few years is I've started to learn from experiences of in Smithfield and you go out and start to work with other clients. There's just some key components of best practices that just need to be more effectively implemented. That's amazing. And uh, what uh, impressive career there, Dr. Pullman. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's it's good uh, to remind uh, that you were right there in the early stages of the swine group there at K-State. So that's, uh, that's great. Um, well, so I guess uh, that's a good link for, for the next question there, Steve. So what are the key factors for successful pig production in your experience? Well, and what I'd like to do is just maybe share with you two or three key points you know, often we focus totally on improving productivity, and that's such a critical part. But what I want to do today is maybe share with the audience uh, some critical factors of a successful business. And the first one, in my mind, is very, very commonly overlooked, is people don't know their mission or value statements. So that's the first one, is just make sure... They know who they are and what are they trying to do and who are they trying to serve, and they establish those core principles. And then secondly, they've got to develop a living, breathing, strategic plan. You know, what are we going to do? How are we going to get there? And that needs to be an ongoing activity. And oftentimes in the pig industry, we're really busy taking care of pigs, but we're really mm -hmm. sometimes not very good at business planning and development. And frankly, I find that people's financial understanding of the business is pretty weak and they assume that uh, improved productivity means more profit and that's a bit of a challenge and oftentimes right. what we find happening is there's lots of information but not real clear of which are the key metrics that drive performance and so what I've tried to do the last few years is to simplify the business to say, here are the three or four real key metrics that drive the business and everything else is secondary to those. And an example of that would be uh, percent livability post weaning. Uh, and then another one would be the number of pigs weaned per sow farrowed. Now notice I haven't put PSY or pigs per sow per year in that top one because that. That number's not a very good indicator of the success of a business. And and to then look at what is the amount of pork produced per sow per year as a total system metric. 
that's the true indication of the, the throughput of the business. And to do that, uh, benchmarking is a critical component of it. And uh, benchmarking to me is a really important aspect to say, where are we, how do we stand, and how do we move to the next level? Because part of that vision and strategic plan is to say, I want to be, let's say, in the top 10% of the industry in these key metrics. And you first have to identify what metric you're going to use and what uh, benchmarking service is best for your application. And then probably the last element that I would put on that list for success is you've got to have a successful, I'm going to call it a human capital development initiative. What are you doing to help your people get better? And at all levels in the organization, uh, people need to continue to say, how are we going to get better? And some of that is uh, with coaching, it's with conflict resolution, it's through understanding of the financial ramifications of the business. It's how you track and monitor the key metrics. Very nice. No, this is, uh, yeah, I mean, as you travel around the globe and, and uh, I've traveled around the globe talking to producers, uh, the first thing that a lot of people bring up is bring up is speaks per supper year, right? And uh, it's impressive to me, like how long people take to change these metrics, right? It's so ingrained that uh, we've been talking a lot about, you know, uh, even carcass carcass feed conversion or caloric efficiency and all that kind of thing, and it's it's still not uh, the status. Cool, right? It's still not the, the mainstream. You there's no mainstream usage of that. I, it's my impression. I don't know what you think, Dr. Pullman. Absolutely. And you know, if you are looking at key business indicators, PSY is not in the top five. Right. You know, it, it's a it's a critical number, and it's often used for comparison purposes. But you know, uh, there's it's just a number that. Uh, is often it is associated with bragging rights and often used for comparison purposes, but it's not a very good one. Right. And and so I think our industry needs to gravitate toward that. We've made great strides in sow productivity, but at the same time we've seen now some casualties associated with increased sow mortality, improve increasing the amount of finishing mortality. And the number percent of full value pigs seems to be struggling too. So, you know, even though we've moved the needle on PSY, some of the more important system indicators have not made that equal progress. That makes total sense. So in the true sense, we're creating more waste. Right. Interesting. Okay. And, uh, one thing that you mentioned is you, t you touched on cost and, and profit. I guess one thing that uh, that I'd like to ask you is how do you see or how, how should the systems uh, manage their focus on profit versus cost? And I guess that will change if you're in a, uh, in a good scenario versus a bad economic scenario. So what's, what's your overall thoughts there, Dr. Pomo? Yeah, and I think in the truest sense, you have to watch both. Now, you, you do have some systems that will totally focus on cost because that's something that is controllable. And the, the biggest components oftentimes are those non-controllable costs, 
like the cost of feed ingredients, uh, the cost or the value in which you sell pigs at. So by having a total focus on the cost of production, you get people focusing on things that they can control, which is a good strategy from a management standpoint. But often uh, what happens is one has to make sure that uh, the profit is coming along with as well as the cost control. And, uh, uh, another good example of that, I think, to illustrate that point, uh, we often talk about sort loss as a pretty important indicator. And that's not nearly as critical as trying to make sure that we get market weights up and we're accomplishing our market weight target with greater uniformity of that market weight. And so because oftentimes when we're minimizing sort loss, we tend to sell a lighter pig. And um, carcass weight is one of those key five drivers that one needs to continue to monitor. Carcass weight, interesting. That, yeah, I mean, heavy, heavy pigs uh, has been a big trend uh, over the last uh, 50 years, I guess, right? Do you see that continue to grow or what's your or take on, on market weight? Yeah, market weight for sure has continued to increase every year for the past three decades. And there's, there's no change in sight. And, you know, the, the pig has now demonstrated the ability to continue to lay down lean, pretty efficient to really heavy weights. And so, you know, I think our industry will continue to kill heavy pigs, particularly with uh, the deboning capabilities and sectioning primals that they're doing. Uh, it just makes it more important. And so from a total system optimization standpoint, it's good for production, it's good for processing to have a heavier pig. Now, the disadvantage of the heavier pig is sometimes it will start to affect eating quality if not closely watched. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. I think uh, Universal of Illinois has been working on, on some of that recently there on uh, meat quality of very heavy pigs. Uh, so interesting area to watch. Another uh, question be, as we are touching on, on the market weight and, and carcass weight, Steve, what are your thoughts on the you know marketing on a fixed weight versus fixed time basis of course going to change throughout the year as pigs go uh, grow you know faster or, or slower but also from a strategic standpoint how should a system work through that as far as trying to expand number of farms you know to to have that that um, fixed weight or or it's going to depend on scenarios what, what's your thoughts on there Yes, that's a good question, and it's been a question that's plagued the industry for a lot of years. And I've been on both sides of that discussion, but what I found over time, uh, a fixed phylo system is a more predictable system, and where you have enough days, and then you do what you can to increase gain. Now, at the same time, introducing the concept of space balance, uh, as I work with producers and historically looking at some of the major constraints in our business, the balance of the amount of finishing space we have relative to the changing of our sow operations, space becomes pretty paramount. And right. the thing that has been evident in financial assessments of those, you never can 
afford to be space short. And so we see there's probably four or five months of the year that carcass weights will drop uh, maybe four to seven pounds. Mm-hmm. And part of that is just because of the way we're managing pig flow and direction and uh, we get space short. And so we often go back and we look at what is the ratio of the number of spaces we have relative to the sow operation. And with sow productivity increasing on an annual rate, with market weights increasing, less use of raptopamine, uh, and some of those components always affect the optimum space. And, uh, you know, if, if a a person ought to be looking at additional space about every two to three years because their system capacity has grown and finishing space may be a restriction. So from my standpoint, I would for sure continue to push a fixed phylo system where I lock in in a wean to finish. This is the number of days, and I make sure I've got the pigs that can move through that system throughout the entire year, not just mm-hmm. uh, three of the seasons, but I want to be able to continue to hit my 290-pound pig during the summer months. Makes sense. Try to to keep it as predictable as possible. And what happens is that sow wean weekly pig throughput changes quite dramatic, but we're pushing those into a fixed uh, growing system. And so some weeks we're overpopulating, other weeks we're underpopulating, and then we scratch our head and say, why do we have challenges with uniform market weights coming out? Right. Seasonality on the reproduction side, as well as uh, uh, just the seasonality of diseases as well, maybe. Yeah, and then what happens too is then we, we start looking at flow strategies, uh, you know, and looking at those and evaluating them over time, the best single system that I've seen is when we have large sow farms, you single source into a wean finished barn, and you do that within a week. And when one can do that, then the harvest process is much more consistent and returns on the cost of that space is greater. And then you're not looking at three to five grades out of the barn, you sometimes will take your first grade and then do a run out. And then you've got the uniformity throughput because you have uniform pigs coming in. Coming out of, and I'll share probably another bias with you, is uh, I believe today that we age in North America is still too young. I think the Europeans are too old, and the right mm-hmm. sweet spot is 23 to 25 days of age. And so if I take a 23- to 25-day-old pig and move it into a wean-to-finish system, and I'm doing that single-sourced with short fills, it changes the dynamics and the cost and the profit. Sure, you might need a little more space, but you can never afford to be space short. Yeah, that's probably the closest thing to uh, bulletproof those pigs is what you just said, I think, right? 23 to 24 uh days old and uh, single source and uh, feeling in a week that's well you know the the other thing that i would encourage people to look at is to really assess what is their space balance uh how many spaces independent spaces do they have for sale 
And if you want to look at that real critical and do that math, and you start making some assumptions on what is the stocking density going to be, you need about 11 and a half spaces per sow to have reasonable balance, mm-hmm. assuming that you're getting decent daily gains when to finish. Interesting. And a lot of people don't know what that number is. And over time, that number is going to continue to drift up as market weights increase and sow productivity continues to increase. Right. I don't think I ever thought about that number. And, uh, and I think a lot of systems experienced in the last 10 or 15 years that uh, the, for those that have nursery and finishing, the weight at the end of the nursery is lower today than 10 years ago. And, and that's probably a part of it as well, on top of the birth weight reduction. Yeah, I think that's, that's true. Very nice. Very good, Dr. Pullman. I guess um, uh, another question I have to you is uh, your general thoughts on sow lifetime productivity and, and uh, what, what should we watch for there? Yeah, another really interesting area. And, you know, as we started working on lifetime productivity, oh, it's probably been 10 years ago now, the message has stayed the same, that sow lifetime productivity is a better indicator of sow performance than PSY. And what you really are seeing today is that that number captures gilt pool efficiency and days from selection to the time of breeding and how that's monitored. And so lifetime productivity is particularly critical uh, as, as an indicator. And I've done correlation work to show that, frankly, PSY and lifetime productivity only have an R-square of about uh, 0.25. So about 25% of the variation in PSY can be or, of, of Sow lifetime performance can be explained by PSY. So you got 75% that's something else. Mm-hmm. And, and so not a lot. Uh, the biggest opportunity, frankly, to move lifetime productivity is how do you get gilts managed and retained in the herd and increase the longevity of the female? Uh, and so selection re- uh, replacement rates have got to come down and number of parity per average sow has got to continue to move up to really get the value of lifetime performance up. And see, at one point we were looking at probably 30, 35 pigs per lifetime. And today that number is probably more closely approaching 40 to 45. And again, that number people are not really well connected with because it's not readily available to them in the record keeping systems. Right. That is, uh, that, that makes sense. Um, and the other thing I think, uh, we should uh, probably touch on is, is just, the just the individual care of the cells as well. Right. Um, making sure we're walking the pens every day, especially as we move that through the, through the system now, the conversion to, to pens and all that. Yes, that, that's absolutely right. And frankly, the bigger the sow farm, the harder it is to find them. And, you know, in the day we had a 500 sow farm, uh, it was a little easier to detect those problems. 
uh, you know, you were able to see what sow was starting to have some feet and leg problems or what ones were not consuming their feed and those that needed to get up. But now today with the bigger sow farms, you know, the staff really need to be trained to make sure that they're closely scrutinizing the health status during gestation and particularly pre-farrowing. Makes sense. You know, I was just looking at some numbers today, looking at sow mortality increases, and we've all seen projects that Iowa State have been involved with through the pork board. But it's amazing today that in that data set, uh, they're reporting 10 to 12 percent average mortality with ranges of 4 to 20 percent mortality in sows on an annual basis. And you just think about that extreme variation and how that number continues right. to go up. The sow's telling us something. She's telling us that uh, she is not adapting to our production expectations and we just need to intensify the way we monitor sows. Right. It, it uh, now completely agree with you that uh, definitely uh, listen to the pig, right? Always the Always going to find the answer that way. Yep, and at the same time, you've got to have dynamic metrics and systems and then look at them and have and one of my favorite topics is to have people create visuals that are in a 10-second format. If you can't see it in 10 seconds, you're not going to see it. I mean, the, the big hmm. reports we get on South Farms today, people struggle to see where the big rocks are. Interesting, almost almost something like those uh, scorecards type of uh, reports. Yeah, you you got to put it into a, like a statistical process control chart or a run table, or you've got to be able to see it fast and not look at fifteen pages of numbers, and then you're looking right. up the list and then going across and saying, you know, this is what happened the last six weeks. You really want to continually ask yourself. Are my key metrics getting better, staying the same, or getting worse? And eyeballing a, a bunch of numbers on a table don't give you that trend direction. I love it. No, this is great advice. I hope I hope more farms uh, simplify that uh, that those reports. Very nice. Well, um, anything else in general? Dr. Pullman, before we move to the three questions we ask every guest? <laughs> well, you know, again, one of my pet projects is to ask management teams to say, what are you doing to help your people be more successful? Hmm. How are you helping them add value to their life? And what are you doing to help them have greater job satisfaction? Often we're long on pigmanship and short on leadership. Interesting. So what, uh, I guess from the answers you've got so far, what do you think or what, what would the best systems uh, be doing, you think, on that arena? The ones that have standard onboarding processes and training, and then mm -hmm. they also have uh, programs in place for all levels of their team to get better and that they're not afraid to take uh, three to five percent of their employees' time for improvement activities. You know, where they're they're teaching them about science, or they're teaching them about 
personal planning or any or reinforcing the strategic plan or the financial ramifications of the business, but we've got to take time to help people learn and sharpen their saw. Makes total sense. And uh, yeah, that's, that's great. I think, uh, I hope uh, some from the audience can take that and, and run with it and, and implement. Uh, that's great. The truth is, precision swine production is not the future, it is the present. Every pig is the intelligent pig health platform. It is a simple yet powerful pig health and production management tool. Request a free 20 minutes demonstration at www.everypig.co. It is time to our famous three. Dr. Pomon, so the three questions we ask every guest. The first one is, uh, what is your favorite swine-related book? My favorite swine-related book? Yes. Uh, interesting. I, I guess I, I really don't have one, per se. I, to, it's been interesting, though, and I, I must admit, uh, I've really appreciated the way our publications have become more science-oriented. Like, for instance, you take National Hog Farmer. Today, they mm -hmm. report on research results and not sharing a bunch of testimonials. It's really become more research progress. And so, frankly, I'm at the point where I really enjoy reading those. Where in the past, yeah. I'd look at those and say, it's just a bunch of advertisement, a bunch of propaganda, a bunch of testimony without a lot of science base. But today, it's becoming a very good venue for delivering information out to the public. So I'd have to say, yeah, I enjoy reading Pork Magazine. <laughs> That's cool. That makes total sense. And it's more current than, say, the scientific journals because those are so slow. And, right. you know, I, 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 I like to read the abstract and then look at the table and see if I'm interested in reading more. <laughs> right. You're probably right. After it um, goes into the website and magazines, it's going to take about six months until you see the actual paper, right? Right. Okay. How about the book, your favorite book that is not related to pigs? Well, I have some personal books that I rely on a lot. Uh, I really have learned a lot from the Stephen Covey series. And I'd say he's mm -hmm. probably my favorite business writer, and I, I would probably put that one on the top of the list for if, if somebody hasn't read uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, it is a good read, and there's some very fundamental lessons in life that can be applied to that. And it has direct relevance to pig production. It's all about developing yourself and developing others. Great, great book. Does he, does he have some other books? I'm not familiar with the other ones besides that one. Yeah, he's got f uh, four or five. Uh, oh, wow. You know, First Things First. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and then he has some about even... Uh, how to help your family get better. Very nice. Very cool. Well, the last question is, Steve, what uh, sets apart successful swine professionals from those who are not? <laughs> you know, I've thought about that question a bunch over the years, and I think it boils down to kind of two things. One is the pace of execution and you say what you're going to do and you do it. 
Mm-hmm. And then your ability to make sure you maintain balance in your life. And, you know, nice. it, it's so easy to have people say, I'll do that, I'll do that, and then they don't do it. And uh, they're not fulfilling the commitment they made to their colleague or their friend or their family. And at the same time, it's easy to be so busy that you really don't keep all the things in life in a perspective. That makes, I love that because that's something I, I think a lot about as well. The, the, if in my case, if I don't write down, it's not going to happen. Uh, like if, uh, that thing of, oh, I'm going to remember about it, or there's like 10 things I need to remember. I hate, I, you know, I, I need to write down. Um, I love that just from execution standpoint, right? Yeah. And that is, that is so critical and it absolutely has made me over the years people that don't fulfill commitments very nice well uh, i guess we we come to to the end of the show here dr Pullman. really appreciate your insights and those several decades of experience uh, trying to boil all that down in 30 minutes so we really really appreciate your time my pleasure and it, it's not really several it's just four <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good to talk to you. It's just fun. Keep, keep, Great. keep, keep this wonderful service going. Thank you. I appreciate that. We stay in touch, Dr. Palmer.